You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 149 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Wednesday evening, uh, sort of deep into the night here on the East Coast. Uh, that's what we do whenever we have time to find a show. We do a show, and even if there's not that much happening, we are back after, I think, only like a nine-day absence. So even with a, even with a, a vacation trip of sorts slash work trip for me, in the middle of that, we're not really that off schedule. And uh, joining me this week is the great Scott Coleman. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? I was hoping we might have a trade or a free agency signing or, or something uh, for this pod, but unfortunately, that did not happen as of as of right now. Um, but you're you, tempting you the said, gods there, right now. It's going to happen in the next half hour. <laughs> there has been a little bit of news, as you said, so uh, good stuff to dig into for sure. And I was uh, hoping you'd be right. I uh, you were prompting the baseball gods on uh, Tuesday to have something happen when you were tweeting about it before the podcast. Nothing really happened, but there is some, you know, it hasn't been that long since we did a podcast. I purposely recorded last week in the middle of the week, knowing that I would be gone over the weekend, and I fully expected something to happen while I was out of town, but nothing really did. At any rate, there is some news, though, since since then. I guess the biggest thing um, in terms of, you know, impact, potentially, is the front office shakeup with, with regard to the scouting department. Um Brian Bridges and Roy Clark. I should say Brian Bridges was, was the amateur scouting director and Roy Clark is, was a senior advisor. Two pretty big names, honestly, in terms of scouting. Like, you know, relative, obviously, because scouting people in front offices are not huge names. But these guys were probably the two famous, the two most famous people in the uh, scouting department for the Braves, and they're no longer employed by the Braves. Um, they were they were let go last week. Um, not a huge surprise, given just everything that's happened. And by the way, as sort of the timeline here, they both signed brand new one-year deals in October, so they were still under contract. Um, pretty, they signed those deals after the season ended, which is kind of interesting. And then you remember that it happened that, that they were let go a couple of hours slash days after the Carter Stewart grievance was put to bed. We'll come back to that in a moment. But did that strike you as surprising or weird or anything noteworthy other than just a front office shakeup? Yeah, it's you know it's unfortunate because by all accounts Bridges is is a great guy and he had a couple of really strong drafts. I mean, you look at what the Braves did under the the Copy Hart uh, era and on they really hit on most of their top five or six picks in each of those drafts. And even if those players uh, don't turn into superstars, you and I, everybody who listens, knows that you know even if you hit on one or two of those guys in the, in the draft, you're 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 doing well. So. Um, unfortunate to see him go, and, and Roy Clark was somebody who had been uh, with the team for decades. He's he's kind of bounced around in recent years, but of course came back. So obviously not ideal. I mean, it doesn't matter when this happens, whether it's January or a week before the draft or in October. 
Um, it was interesting. I, I almost think my biggest takeaway, and, and a couple other folks pointed this out, um, the fact that Bridges and Clark were essentially let go really just a couple of hours after uh, after the, the ruling on Carter Stewart came down, uh, you, it's almost one of those things where you don't necessarily want to start firing people during investigation for for obvious reasons. So um, that I got a little bit of a kick out of that. But I mean, ultimately, uh, the Braves have, have to move on. And, and if Anthopolis feels he wants his own guys in there, then so be it. Uh, he didn't really clean house too much last year. Uh, whenever he took over, he left a handful of guys in place. And, and now, obviously, you're, you're continuing to see uh, him bring his own guys in and, and uh, kind of move on from what could have been. I mean, it was a debacle, to be sure, the, the whole Stewart pick. But um, but ultimately, you have to move on and, and get better from it. Yeah, I mean, that was a debacle. And actually, when I talk about the, the whole Stewart thing here in a second. But, I mean, getting your own guys in is kind of what usually happens you know, Bridges and Clark are two, you know, sort of longtime, relatively famous people in the front office. So it's, I guess, a little bit more noteworthy. And the timing of it in conjunction with with, with the uh, Carter Stewart stuff is definitely something to note. But big picture wise, a change like that would not have really drawn a ton of attention if it happened in a different time. Like if they had cleared things out uh, in terms of scouting after the season or when or when Anthopolis arrived, it wouldn't have been a huge surprise. So it's one of those things where it's probably all tied up in some way. We don't really know what happened exactly, but the timing is curious. And I think, you know, getting Dana Brown in as a new hire from, uh, by the way, who Anthopolis knows from a previous stop is kind of on brand for what GMs normally do. They hire their own guys, guys they know, and that's kind of what happened here, it seems. You're right. And and you can't blame Anthopolis for wanting to get guys he knows. Now, that's nothing against Bridges. I'd imagine uh, he will be out of work a very short amount of time before catching on somewhere. Uh, the same goes for Clark. Um, but you're right. I mean, he didn't come in and, and usually you see whether it's baseball or, or any other sport, a new GM or, or president of operations comes in and clears out everybody. Obviously, with, with the scandal with, with Coppolella, baseball kind of imposed that clearing house a little bit, if you will. But, um, but ultimately you, you can't blame him too much for wanting to get guys that he's worked with in the past. And, and Dana Brown, uh, he touched on there, did work with, with Anthopolis in Toronto and, and has a pretty, a pretty decent track record as a, as a scout and as a drafter and all that good stuff. So, um, it's obviously an important draft too, having, uh, the ninth pick, which they didn't lose, which, which is obviously fantastic news. Uh, as well as was it pick twenty one is the other one they have? Yeah, and, and that's their own pick from that they were supposed to have with with their record. Obviously, the number nine pick is because of Carter Stewart, who they didn't sign. And that, you know, as a bridge to that, that was sort of a story. I mean, not not a huge surprise. I think at no point did I think that they were going to lose that grievance that was filed. Um, but they until they won it, they could have. I guess they could have lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what happens for those of you that don't know this is that because they didn't sign Carter Stewart, they get that exact same pick the following year uh, because they tried to sign him and they just, they just couldn't come to an agreement. Um, that rolls over. And, you know, it, it's, it was definitely unfortunate in the moment. I know our guys liked Carter Stewart as a prospect quite a bit um, just to see him not sign and I'll have a little injury stuff and sort of the way that that, that all went down. But all things considered, the Braves now have that pick again. So it, there really isn't too much impact because they won the grievance. If they lost that and lost the pick, it would have been kind of brutal. But, other than that, I mean, it's kind of just no news is good news. When you win that, it would have been news the other way, but this is kind of just the status quo, honestly. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we could probably talk for an hour about the whole baseball draft process versus, versus the other sports, but it's kind of crazy how little access teams have to medicals on players who they're potentially going to invest millions both right then and there as a signing bonus and then millions down the road. I mean, you compare what little medical access major league teams have versus like the NFL where they have you know hours of medicals on guys that they're interested i don't know it's it's kind of an interesting system and uh who knows what exactly the braves knew what stewart knew of his injury you know etc 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 but um you know now it's you have to shift focus and obviously that's a a big pick at number nine uh, especially not being able to spend internationally you you really have to hit on your draft picks and uh, that's something the Braves are going to need to do. And, and, and Thopolis obviously uh, has, a, has a, a history of, of – he's hit on a few drafts, but he's also uh, – I don't think so far he's been as strong of a drafter as what we saw with Bridges and Coppolella and Hart in those few couple years. So it'll be a, uh, it'll be a big June nonetheless. To be sure, and I'm not a draft, a draft expert by any means. We'll have to do. We'll have to get our guys to, to follow that stuff closer huh. than I do, in advance of that. But yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's pretty much the consensus on on Anthopolis is that that's not been his strongest stu- suit previously. Doesn't mean that he can't hit on picks. And obviously, it's kind of a you know everything with the draft is kind of a small sample size. I know there's a lot more picks in baseball than there are in other sports, but given the lack of proximity to the big leagues when you're drafting guys it's always a little bit more high risk and as a result of that you kind of need a pretty big sample to determine whether someone's good at drafting or not if that makes sense like mm-hmm. you can have some short sample size luck or or unluck depending on um kind of what happens with injuries and all that stuff baseball is a very volatile draft process i know yeah, there is a definitely a skill to it i'm sure and guys that are good at it are good at it and guys that aren't aren't but you could probably hide that pretty well for a small sample, yeah. like three, four years, Absolutely. five years. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see what will happen there. But I will definitely lean on our guys that follow that stuff closely. I'll be calling. I'll be calling our good friend Carlos Galazzo quite a bit in uh, in advance of the draft. The man, the yeah, yeah, he's he uh, paying close attention, and I and I'm not. So, um, all right, let's move move on from there. The other big, the, you know, big is relative, but the other news this week is that arbitration results or lack thereof. The Braves avoided arbitration with all their guys. They now have contracts for Kevin Gosman, Mike Fultonavich, Arroyo Fiscaino, Adam Duvall, Charlie Culberson, Sam Freeman, your boy and mine, Sam Freeman, and Sam Dan, Freeman, friend and of the Dan Winkler. So, no huge surprises here. It would have been a surprise if they had gone arbitration with some of these guys. I guess Duvall getting a little bit less. He only got two point nine million. That was at least notable. And for me, the biggest thing here is that now I know what these guys are making. I can sort of slot them into my fake spreadsheet of what the Braves payroll looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, it's not a whole lot going on there. I will say it was interesting to me and others that the Braves made sure on Twitter when they announced all these deals that they were announced that they were non-guaranteed. That's not out of the ordinary, but the fact that they were noting it is kind of interesting because especially for guys like Sam Freeman, as much as we laugh about that, this is not guaranteed money for those guys. Like they get paid to show up at spring training, and but if they get cut, it's not like they were owed all that money. Um, that's interesting in some ways. I'm not 100% privy to all the details on the contracts, but I do know that they are not fully guaranteed. And for some of the some of the, some of the bottom tier guys like Freeman, maybe even Adam Duvall, if he comes in and just terrible in spring, maybe they just cut him. Especially if they have an outfielder ahead of him, that kind of stuff is e- easy to monitor. The big guys, Gosman, Fultonavich, even Culberson, those guys are not, are not going to get cut on their on their contracts. But you know, if Vizcaino has an injury, for instance, it's four point eight million dollars. If he has an injury and he's had a lot of those injuries, he might get cut. That's like it's a pretty consi- uh, considerate uh, considerable amount of money. Um, I yeah. can't talk, but considerable amount of money, like almost $5 million is not like going to break the bank, but 
if they think that there's some sort of weirdness there. There was a little bit of buzz before um, he was offered the contract in the first place. When he was tendered, there was some buzz that he wouldn't be tendered. So that's the kind of stuff that sort of like brings up my antenna a little bit on these mm-hmm. guys. But in general, they all have contracts now, and we'll see if they live up to them. For sure. I think, you know, I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head. I think it's like if you show up to spring training, you're guaranteed like 15% of that non-guaranteed deal. And then if you survive either 15 days in general or 15 days after the first spring training game, then you get another like 20% of it or, or something or another. But like you said, it, as far as filling out the spreadsheet goes, if you open the open the season with, with Adam Duvall on the roster or Charlie Culberson or Freeman or Winkler, uh, whoever it may be, that you do know what their dollar figures are going to be. Uh, you touched on it. It's nice. Last year, the whole debacle with Fulte going to arbitration over $100,000. That's just not good business for for either side, frankly. I mean, you would like to think they'd be able to come to an agreement and not waste everybody's time with lawyer fees and traveling. Um, but again, you know, it reflects back on the, the Kevin Gosman trade last summer. Even if he isn't great uh, this year, even if he's more of that number three, number four starter, uh, what he primarily was in Baltimore to only pay him $9 million bucks in, in 2019, uh, is really a, a strong deal. So, um, as you said, just kind of more of a checklist item than than actual uh, developments on that front. But um, nonetheless, it, it does kind of help shift things towards 2019. To be sure, and I, and I think the only guy that I would keep an actual like close eye on is Freeman, just because I don't know what they see in Sam Freeman. Um, it's relatively cheap, though. I think his contract's like $1.6 million. Yeah. That's not anything crazy. So if they think he can be a part of the bullpen, then you just keep him around. But he'd be the one player out of the, what, nine uh, or eight or eight or nine guys that are um, that signed deals that I might think might, might get cut. But other than that, everybody else would be around, and we'll see what happens. Um, okay, we can transition into our, um, I guess, weekly free agency slash trade <laughs> checkup. Um, kind of, kind of. Kind of checkup. Um, debunked yeah. within 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I talked with Eric a bunch last week on some th- hypotheticals, but I haven't gotten your thoughts on all these guys yet, and they sort of linked back to at least some buzz this week. The first one, and I think probably the biggest one in terms of just actual news, is that Ken Rosenthal, who is, of course, like the, the number one authority on transactions around the league, reported that the Braves are now reluctant to give up a draft pick for A.J. Pollock. That was sort of in contrast a little bit to the first reporting on this that we that we had heard last week when Eric and I talked about it. We were talking about how that wasn't going to hold them up, and now Rosenthal t- saying that it might. That's noteworthy to me. I, I don't think that, for me, I, if, if we knew for sure that that was the reason why they weren't pursuing a Pollock, I'd be a little bit bothered by that. But it should be part of the, of the calculus when you're, when you're tra- talking about giving a, a guy a contract, you know, you can, you can sort of determine the value that you think that that, that, that pick is worth, quote-unquote, and subtract it from what you think the value of the contract should be. But kind of in your head, there has to be – it does matter, but how much it matters is kind mm-hmm. of a big thing because if you're paying market value and giving up a draft pick, that can sort of sting a little bit more versus paying market value not. So, I mean, I guess the question that I have to ask you is, like, how much does this matter to you and for instance, if they if they offered a deal to Pollock and he took it, would you think at all about the draft pick when evaluating the, when, you, when evaluating whether whether it was a smart transaction or not, or would you just be like, okay, the contract is four for sixty, that's the contract? You know, it's funny because I, I don't really know what to make of AJ Pollock, and and there's so many different ranges of outcomes for what he could be, right? And so, but of course, I mean, I, I kind of read through the Rosenthal article as. 
the Braves aren't looking to just give up the draft pick and the, and the slot money that would come with the 60th overall pick. Um, but ultimately, if, if the 60th overall pick is going to determine whether or not you sign one of the, the top remaining free agents, I think it's, I don't think it would necessarily uh, prohibit the Braves from doing it. But as you said, it's, it's part of the equation. So maybe if you feel like you're getting Pollock on a good deal, you know, kind of a one plus one deal at reasonable money, limited risk, then maybe you're, uh, maybe you're a little more likely to do it rather than if you if you have to give him three or four years and take on a lot of risk given his injury, um, then then obviously you're you're taking on more risk and and it might be a little tougher to pull the trigger because you know that you're already inheriting a good amount of risk not just this year but years down the road. Um, you know Pollock's an interesting guy because if you look at his his numbers as a whole last year, they're pretty good. I mean he had a 2.5 WAR, 110 WRC plus. Uh, ran the base as well, handles center field and gigantic chase field pretty well. Um, but again, he, he always has the injury risk. And I didn't realize, I guess, before like five minutes ago, how bad he was after coming back from injury. It was uh, not good. He came back on July 2nd and across about 300 plate appearances, hit 236, 297, 407. And keep in mind that is in hitter-friendly chase field, even with the humidor, it was still a pretty hitter-friendly park, uh, with an 86 WRC+. plus. So, yeah, he had a great first two months before, or first month and a half before he got hurt, but then was just not very good in, in the final three months of the year. So anyway, I think he has some name value. He, of course, was the guy that so many people wanted when they traded Shelby Miller a couple years back. Um, so I, I don't know what to make of AJ Pollock. I think he has the upside of a superstar, and a lot of his injuries have been of the fluke variety. And I get why missing two months with a broken thumb or whatever he got hurt with last year could, and then just trying to come back to hit major league pitching is a lot easier said than done. Um, but at the same time, there is a, a large amount of risk with him, and I think his name outweighs his production at times. And, and I'm not really sure what exactly. Uh, he's going to end up getting whether it's with with the Braves or somebody else. Yeah, I do think that you know it's kind of about what your risk tolerance is. I found that in talking about him, or I guess reading and monitoring stuff on Twitter about Pollock and people, you know, people that I that I trust that I, that, I, that I think are smart people, it kind of comes down to what your philosophy is. If you want the Braves to swing for upside, he is the he is the guy that provides that to you. Um, that's available right now that we know is available. I should say, like if you want to shoot for the stars, if you're, if that's your personality and you're, and you're a little bit uh, less risk averse, you probably like Pollock. And if you have some fear about, about uh, guys with, with, with a low floor, you probably don't want any part of it. So it's kind of personal preference and I'm sure it's personal preference for the Braves organization. I'm not sure what they think about Pollock individually. There's been enough buzz now where I think they're they're at least checking in on Pollock. There would be no reason to have that report come out from Rosenthal if they weren't checking on Pollock. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm generally in. I, I, th- I believe you posted a interesting poll a while ago about that Pollock um, contract. Was that you? I think it was. Um, I think Maybe I it wasn't you. What outfield option people wanted? But oh, I don't that's think what it was. It was. Yeah, it yeah. involved, but it, it involved Pollock. I've seen a couple of different interesting like hypotheticals with, with Pollock that the fan base kind of is split on and it's kind of funny it's like perfectly Braves to be split down the middle on AJ Pollock mm. like on, one side on really wants him yeah, yeah on every, that's a good point but one side <laughs> really wants him at like you know 460 or less Ooh. or the other side's like nope one year deal only and it's like <laughs> okay well that's probably, yeah. probably not gonna happen I don't know 
I, I kind of like Pollock as a theoretical. I'm not in love with it. Like if they somehow gave him a hundred million dollars, I would be not very happy about that. But if it's a reasonable deal, I'm okay taking the risk in part because of the upside and in part because of the lack of other options. And I think you have to do something. Um, that's my opinion. It's been my opinion the entire time is that, you, is that doing something would be intelligent. I do think if you go out and do something else like Real Muto's, always the favorite uh, hypothetical scenario for us. If you do that, then the pressure is a lot less to go out and do something in the outfield that's big. But if you don't, your offense has got some issues right now, I would say. Even with even with really, really impressive options at the top, like you might have three legitimate studs in Acuna, Freeman, and Donaldson, and maybe an Albies if he joins that class as well. But you still have three or four spots that aren't necessarily perfect. So I don't know. I, I don't really have a huge opinion one way or the other. You have to tell me what, what the contract details are. That's kind of where it comes down to for me. If it's like 345, sign me up. If it's four years, I get a little bit shaky, I'll be honest with you, just because of the durability stuff and his age and sort of the profile. But still, I think he's the best of outfielder available that's not named Bryce Harper. So if you want the team to be the best that it can be and be a World Series contender, I think you kind of have to aim for upside at at some point, somewhere on the roster. Because right now, I mean, you have you have it with Acuna, obviously. You have it with Albies. But variance-wise, I don't think that this team is going to be competing. I mean, it's it's, it's baseball, so it's in, in a short series, maybe you could certainly put it together. But big picture, you're not, you're not going to be one of the best three teams in Major League Baseball right now this year as currently constructed, even with Pollock, unless Pollock is like a superstar. But maybe, I mean, he ha- he has the capability of being that, honestly. Like, he's someone that could post a six-win season, and it would not stun anybody. Yeah, he looked like, I mean, before the injury last year, he he was looking like he was going to have his kind of second breakout season, and then he gets hurt. And as we said, then he kind of fell off during the final three months. So he, he's a tough guy to peg. I mean, as you said, he... Very. Other than Bryce, and, and I, it doesn't sound like Mitch Hanniger is actually available, you're absolutely right. I think he's realistically one of three outfield options who could potentially, in some theory, be available who could hit you know, a five- or six-win season next year. You know, Truly star, all-star level player. Um, but you could also then give him a deal, and he gets hurt for the fourth year in a row or whatever it is and you're suddenly throwing however many million dollars down the drain and, and you're in trouble because then your depth is really thin. All of a sudden, you know, you're playing Camargo or Duvall every day out in the outfield. You could see the and, – and there's injury risk with every single player, but he is a but little more, more <laughs> than – more so than than your average guy just because of his, his, you know, his history of injuries, even if they are of the freak variety. You know, at some point you just have to stay healthy, and, and he honestly, other than his one super season, hasn't been able to do it. I'm glad you mentioned money down the drain because that reminded me of a point that I wanted to make. I think Pollock also really depends on Anthopolis and the knowledge of what the actual payroll cap is. That's also a really important thing that we just we just do not know and that, and that we're not going to know, but the front office actually does, is that if you, if you know that the Braves have wiggle room beyond that to where if you lose Pollock or if... If Pollock has a really bad injury and you know he misses a whole season, or if you, if if he's if he's just bad, like the risk tolerance matters a lot more when you're considering how much that impacts your overall payroll. If you have a firm payroll number, it's it's still baseball. Like it's it's not like you have a salary cap, but if you just know that you cannot handle a a dead money uh, situation situation with Pollock in any under any circumstances, that that really can impact your decision making. If you need safety there, he is not a safe choice. He's a risky choice. So, I mean, we, we just won't know that, and that's kind of why I almost don't want to put bring it up, but it does matter. If you're Anthopolis and you know that two years from now you really cannot 
afford to have that guy on your roster making $15 million a year if he can't play, that can be tough. Whereas the Dodgers, like, you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees, teams that have a lot of money, don't have to care about that. Like They'll carry $50 million of bad money. Like Look at the Red Sox last year with Hanley yeah. Ramirez and all, all this dead money out there. And it didn't matter because they have a lot of money and they could paper over their holes. If the Braves, you know, obviously Liberty Media has the money, but that doesn't mean they're going to give. doesn't mean they're going to give it out to the Braves. So if Anthopoulos yeah. knows that he has a pretty firm cap, it makes it tougher to spend on Pollock. That's kind of my only thing there, yeah. and it sucks to know as a fan. I'm sure fans are like shaking their head right now, but just living in reality for a moment, Liberty has a number. We don't we don't know what it is, but they they have a number in their head that they're like, no, we're not going above that. And if that number is a little bit lower than you and I would like it to be, and help us <laughs> might be like, look, I can't afford to take the risk on a guy who might be dead money. Yeah. And then not have the flexibility mid season to make right. a move, you you know, or add other players. And maybe that's a segue into some of the other guys, but you mentioned real Muto and a couple other options um, who, who are going to make a little bit of money. And, and if Pollock is your guy, and again, we have no idea if he is the guy for the Braves, but if he's your guy, he's not going to be cheap, whether it's a one year deal uh, you know, kind of like the Osmani Grandal uh, contract that he just signed, or if if they're going to say, you know what, we believe in the player, we believe that the the fluke injuries are going to be negated by moving to a corner outfield spot, et cetera, et cetera, then you know maybe it it is the gamble they take. But um, yeah, it's 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 a fun it's fun because I mean, from a famous pr- perspective, as you said, it sucks because you wish you had the unlimited funds that Boston or New York or LA has. Um, but as you said, it's it's just kind of the nature of the game, and you have to play within your parameters. And um, I just <laughs> I think everybody's just a little desperate for a move right now. And whether it's Paul <laughs> or somebody else, there's going to be uh, sweet sweet joy. Even if it was like a mid reliever, we might have to do like an emergency podcast. For yeah, like your your uh, your tweets in the wilderness. I think you. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I I know that I have a lot going on in like Hawks land and NBA land, so I don't feel it quite as much. But a lot of my very brave focused people that I follow, including yourself are like just begging and pleading on a daily basis for, for some sort of move. And it makes me laugh every time. Cause I understand it. It's, it's kind of funny, but you're just in, you know, it's kind of dead and that's just the way it is. But I don't know. The money stuff is really interesting and I'm not letting Liberty off the hook. I think fans think that when I say that, or when you say it, or what Eric does that we're like, you know, saying that it's okay that they don't spend. And I'm not saying that I like, I like to live in reality though. It's not. A, it doesn't do me any good to just yell and scream about how Liberty should spend two hundred two hundred million dollars a year. That doesn't really do us any good. It's kind of just let's be realistic. I hope that they're going to spend more, and I think that they probably will at some point. But until they do, man, like I'm not going to talk about them like like they're the Yankees just because they quote unquote can spend the money. We know they can. They have a lot a lot of money, but they're not gonna. <laughs> yeah. So let's be realistic. It's it sucks. It does, uh, and that's that's a good way to put that. Um, okay, <laughs> two more things to hit on free agent wise. Um, one is that there was a very weird Marwin, Marwin Gonzalez rumor that popped uh, up on Twitter this week that went away pretty quickly, but it was four yeah. years, fifty six million, and that would have been an awful contract. And I think everyone kind of agreed on that pretty pretty uniformly. Speaking of the fact that Braves country is always split, they were not split on that. No one was like, "Yes, Marwin Gonzalez <laughs> for fifty six million dollars." Now, granted. I think it would not be a huge surprise to me if the Braves signed him just because he might be cheap at some point if the, if his market dries up. But at that kind of money, that would have been a bad, bad investment. No, and he he was somebody who you know I liked as a real option before the Donaldson before signing. Donaldson, yeah, agree. 
yep. he would have become what Camargo will be next year. And but I mean, I think my heart legitimately stopped uh, when I saw that. I was like, what the. There's just no, there's no way in the market the way that it is right now that, he, that 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 actually would have been right, which is why I was never really terrified about it. I just saw it and I was like, that seems weird. And then within an hour, it was like, no, that's not a thing. But mm-hmm. which is good. But I do think that it kind of speaks to the fact that there is a there is some scenarios where fans will not be happy. That's one of those. I think that was not really a realistic one. But mm-hmm. you know, is there a number where still signing him would be interesting? I think it might be because he's not your prototypical everyday outfielder but if you want to get weird which is something we've been talking about for a while with depth and kind of moving pieces around the chessboard having Camargo and Marwin Gonzalez would be fun actually I, yeah. I don't tr- I don't really trust the current manager to operate that way to be honest with you but if you remove that obstacle or potential obstacle it might be kind of awesome to have two super utility guys and have them mix and match with Duvall and kind of get weird in the outfield that wouldn't be the worst thing yeah, I'm with you. I mean, what two years and twenty four million, which is yeah, what you know, like they do, like something like that. Not, I mean, I think at first it came out at three years and fifty six million. Well, that would have been ludicrous. Yeah. You know, eighteen, nineteen million bucks a year. So, but I mean, regardless, that so no, I'm with you. I mean, he he does fit, and he would give a lot of roster flexibility. Maybe his, I think he's a Scott Boris client. Um, maybe February one rolls around, and he's just looking for work, and he does a one year deal, then. As they say, there's really no bad one-year deals, uh, especially as as the free agency has gone the last few years. But um, yeah, glad. Obvious, maybe the the most uh, overstated thing in the history of this podcast. Glad that the Braves <laughs> did not sign Marlon Gonzalez at three years and fifty-eight million. Yeah. By the way, um, this is a long time ago, and a lot has changed. The market's kind of dead, but the MLB trade rumors projection for Marwin was four years and thirty-six million dollars. So. Four and thirty-six. Well, even that. I mean, that's what eight million a year. Nine million a year. That's Nine not. I mean, that's it's too long. But that's a good value on him. Yeah, like so the like, odds of him turning into a toad, you know, at nine million dollars a year is pretty low. Yeah. So that's that's a deal where it would certainly cause some mixed reaction because he's not that like prototypical corner outfielder guy. But I actually, I think that I would come on and probably praise that deal. To be honest with you, as something that's like creative and a way to avoid risk. Um, but it would be kind of strange. So I'm not sure it's going to happen. I wouldn't surprise me if the Braves were still talking to Marvin Gonzalez's people. But uh, that was just one something I wanted to say out loud. I got a couple, we got a couple questions when you put out the mailbag call about Marvin Gonzalez and how weird that was. And I wanted to say, yep, yeah. that was weird. So really weird. It originally, I didn't even know who it was. And, and, you know, he's, I believe he's from Venezuela. And we've seen, especially over, you know, in recent years that, you know, news breaks for those guys in their home countries. And you see those tweets and, and, and you go, whoa! This is this legit? And obviously, in some cases, they are. But in this case, it was far from the truth. And it was. And not, yeah. um, okay. One one mailbag question that we got in the outfield that I wanted to ask you about came from Josh W. And he 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 says there seems to be an increase in mentions of Hunter Renfro as a potential fit for the Braves. What are your thoughts on Renfro as an outfield option for Atlanta? So, Renfro just set the stage a little bit. Is uh, currently. In the Padres organization, he'll be 27 in January. A former first-round pick of the Padres in 2013 has been sort of a big prospect, power guy. Um, what did you make of this? Because I think he's interesting in some ways that he might be available, but he's also kind of a, um interesting prospect as well, like power mm-hmm. guy, but not too much else going on there. Yeah, the, the issue with Renfro is not so much him, but just nobody ever knows what the Padres are actually doing. That is true. <laughs> right, right, like, AJ Preller, I mean, he, he actually hasn't been that crazy this offseason, but 
they seem to be linked to all these different players and Corey Kluber maybe, but then they would want to flip Kluber immediately to find a, a cornerstone third baseman. Anyway, um, so, you know, Renfro's an interesting guy. I think last last offseason the Braves were reportedly interested in him. Who knows what the actual interest was. But like you said, he's, he's 27. He's a guy who's had some prospect type, a ton of power. I mean, he, he plays his games in ginormous Petco Park, which is – as hard of a stadium as it is to to hit a home run in the majors, and he's hit 26 or more, uh, or I'm sorry, 26 the last two years uh, in the minors. He routinely hit double figure homers, um, and overall his numbers were were pretty decent last year. He hit about 250, a 114 WRC plus. Um, obviously, you like the idea of him getting out of uh, out of Petco and and seeing what he could do in a more fair stadium. Uh, the last year he hit much better at home than he did on the road. So that kind of throws that theory out too. So um, he's somebody who wouldn't be an ideal choice. I think you don't necessarily want to give Renfro 155, 160 starts next year. But as you said, he would bring some thump. He would provide a little bit of protection for Freeman. He is a right-handed bat, which uh, the Braves could probably use for the middle of the order right now. So he I, is I a, um, yeah, he's sort of he's sort of a uh, platoon candidate, I think. Like if the Braves decided yeah. to go kind of cheaper, and they wanted to go with him and a and a lefty potential because his splits are kind of sharp. He has about a, about two hundred points of OPS in between lefties and righties as a yeah. uh, as a career, which is not like incredibly sharp, but it's, it's still a pretty sharp platoon split. He's, he's only a league average or below hitter against left against righties, and he's been great against lefties. So. That's something to keep in mind. I mean, it's it's a, it's all fairly small sample size stuff, like maybe one full season of a bats against both. So, Renfro is an interesting name. The Padres thing that you mentioned is very important to note because we just don't know what the asking price is going to be, and paying paying starter level compensation for him would be kind of rough. I'm not sure he's a starter that you want playing every day, as you kind of said there. But and by the way, I think somebody mentioned this that I follow. I can't remember who it was. So my apologies. He's kind of similar to Duvall in some ways. Um, like you already have Adam Duvall under contract, and I think Renfro is better than Duvall, but defensively Duvall is better, and I think Duvall kind of has that same level of upside. Like Renfro might be more safe to get it offensively, but I, I'm not sure what you do with Duvall if you have Renfro. They're kind of the same guy. I mean, they're they're, they're a little bit different, but they're power, low OBP corner outfielders, and they're both from the same side of the plate. So. Duvall wouldn't stop them do, from doing anything. As I mentioned before, they can kind of non-guarantee they could probably cut him if they if they just wanted to do that. But you do have him on the roster, and I think that's another layer to consider as well. Interesting, almost like a like a poor man's Renfro, if you will. Is is that? I mean, Duvall. he kind of is. I mean, I think Duvall's a better defender too. I'm not sure. Obviously, Duvall was bad this year. That's the other thing we. I, I will keep saying it because people keep misunderstanding me when I talk about Duvall. Eric, and I spent a lot of time on Duvall in the last podcast, and we got some baffling responses about how we were super high on Duvall and what are you guys talking about? I'm like, guys, I've couched this a hundred different ways. He was bad last year. There's no way around it. He was bad. But that doesn't mean that he's just bad in perpetuity. He could could he be bad? Absolutely. He could be terrible. He might be he might just be done. That's on the table. But that does not mean that the two, three years before that, he was a very good player. Like he was more than worth the three million dollars that that the Braves are owing him if you get that guy back. So all that to say I think Renfro is better than Duvall, but you kind of already have Renfro light on your roster. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think Renfro would be at the top of anybody's list for trying to yeah, fill an outfield it. spot. It's an option. But if if you're saying, well, would you rather give 
see if he can kind of round out his game and not just be a power hitter and get on base a little better? Would I rather see that over 150 games compared to re-signing you know, Nick Markakis for a year or, or signing Adam Jones for a year? I would I would take the upside with Renfro. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's some guys out there who have higher ceilings than he does. And, and as we've talked, you know, we can go down the list of names who probably make a little more sense than Renfro does. Um, but he's, he's not overly alluring if, if that makes sense, but somebody who does have a little bit of potential. But as you said, if, if Duvall does turn back into the guy who he was from 2015 to, uh, 2017, then you already kind of have a guy with his skill set on the roster anyway. Yeah, and I, I do think it kind of depends on what you're at, what you're wanting, and compensation is the most important thing here. It kind of always is, but we don't know what we don't know what it would take. If if you get the guy for for a song, then you just do it and figure it out later. But the Padres are weird, and I'm sure they want to. He's one of their better assets, which is kind of interesting um, in terms of just. I mean, he, he has real power and was like a pretty good major league player last year. There aren't that many guys on that roster that are like that, so. Just it's kind of just to go off tangent here. I think the Padres are like on the exact same kind of wavelength as the Braves were like two years ago. Like they're always tied to all the big name starting pitchers, but obviously the Braves didn't land one and the Padres haven't landed one and they had some assets. And now the Padres have the elite farm system, which the Braves had and still have. And the, the of course the downside is, is the NL West at the top looks a lot more difficult than what the East has the last few years. But alas, uh, I don't know. We'll see. They're they're an interesting team because they have the assets to kind of do whatever they want. But um, I, I think AJ Preller is pretty overrated as a GM, and and I just <laughs> don't think he makes a lot of good moves. But anyway, we can shift off our Padres portion of the of the podcast. You are our NL West correspondent out there in Arizona. <laughs> so <I have laughs> to... <laughs> you guys aren't writing recaps at two in the morning. I have to lean on you on that one. I, I think actually every time that you don't do one, I end up doing it, which is always funny because I'm the one that just, I don't, I don't sleep very often. Yeah. So yeah. it's like Chris, Chris will come in and basically this is a non sequitur, but Chris will come in and say, all right, Scott can't do this one, Brad. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'll stay up till two in the morning. Sure. You're never two. At least um, a couple like Colorado and Arizona tend to be a little bit earlier. It's like the San Francisco games that don't start. Oh, yeah. until, Pad- like, Padres, Padres, Dodgers, Giants are yeah. the ones that are not a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we're off the rails. <laughs> but one more free agency, one more hot stove thing I should say um, is that Gabe, um, Gabe Burns, good friend of the program over the AJC, reported this week that Sonny Gray is someone that Braves still have interest in. Not the first time. That's not a new name, but the uh, report of interest was noteworthy to me in that it came from a local person who was plugged in. Um, Sonny Gray is not the sexiest name in the world, but I've always thought that he was a pretty good buy-low candidate. The Yankees kind of ran him out of town, um, which is one of those things. You know, fan, The fan base kind of turned on him, and that could be tough to get back, but people have just forgotten that before that he was really an interesting and good pitcher in Oakland. So... What are your thoughts on Sonny Gray? Obviously, it depends on what you have to give up for him. But in a vacuum, just the just the pitcher that he is, would you want that guy on the roster? I, I think he's a better option than, frankly, just about everybody else. I mean, I would take for next year. I would take Sonny Gray over Madison Bumgarner. I've you know I've never believed that Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer were going to get traded. It seems even less likely now than two months ago, and that's still. I mean. You go down the list, it doesn't seem like Toronto is eager to move any of their young pitching, who, of course, Anthopolis knows well. You know, Marcus Stroman is someone who would be appealing, but doesn't sound like he's available. So, 
yeah, like you said, I mean, Gray is not a sexy name. He's been around for five or six years now. I think by now his his splits are pretty well known. But if folks don't know, he was basically the worst pitcher in baseball when he was pitching at Yankee Stadium. And he was a top 10 or 15 starter on the road away from Yankee Stadium. I mean, I think he had a 2.6 ERA and 2.9 FIP or something of that sort. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, you know, does that mean that if he leaves, he's automatically going to be a 2.9 fit pitcher for the Braves next year? No, but there is the, you could see why it's, there's reason to be interested in him and why not just the Braves, but it sounds like maybe 10 or so teams have, have checked in on him at one point or another this winter with the Yankees. So someone who I'd like to see, um, for the rotation, he has some upside to him and worst case you're out one year of him. Uh, he, he becomes a free agent in a year, and you're not really out too much, assuming, as you said, I can't imagine the the cost to get Gray would be too high, but uh, it does seem like the Yankees are at least content to to kind of be patient and wait and see until the team gives into their demands, or at least at least gives up a little bit more than maybe what people expected at the beginning of the winter. Yeah, they have, they have the leverage, but Gray is someone, because of the contract and because of how bad he was at home last year, that I think is gettable pretty easily, especially for the Braves, a team that has a lot of prospect capital. Uh, to your point about his splits, they are jarring. A 5.98 FIP last year at home and a 2.65 FIP on the road. So yeah. three and a half runs is insanity. Um, it's a little bit lower. It's a little bit less than that on ERA, which obviously is somewhat luck-based. ERA was actually, no, it was more than that. ERA was 6.98 versus uh, at home versus 3.17 on the road. So, Man, that's jarring. Uh, it's all small sample and that it was 60 innings and 70 innings uh, one way or the other. But I think Gray is a great buy low as a result of all of that. He's not going to be your number like number one lockdown stud. There was there was there were shades of that in Oakland at times when he was like one of the top 10 guys in the American League for a little bit. Yeah. I'm not sure that guy's still there, but he would be better than you know I would say safety wise, he'd be better than a lot of your young, a lot of the Braves' young guys would be in 2019 only. I think he's better than Julio Tehran, for instance, who's still on the roster. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not sure he's like the super sexy upgrade, but he's certainly an upgrade on what they have now. For sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in I, theory, I, at least. <laughs> Let's just if, say that. And if there was some way to ditch Julio and and bring Gray in and then roll with, you know, a, a rotation of Fulty, uh, Gosman, Gray, Newcomb, and one of the kids, Mike Soroka, Tuki, whoever it may be, then I think that's a legitimately a pretty good rotation. But, um, you know, as we said at the beginning of this kind of segment, there's just not a ton. You know, you see all this talk of, oh, well, they should use all their assets to go get an ace, and there's just not many out there. And even if even if it was that the asking price for, for front-end starting pitching is always super steep and with good reason, and it's why that – other than James Paxton, who was moved in like the second week of the offseason, there's just been little to no movement on the on the starting pitching front. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the reality. Everything's on the holding pattern. A lot a lot happened early, and then since then, it's not just the Braves. It's something I said last week on the podcast as well, but it's not just a Braves problem. There's just a, a glacial pace yeah. to, for, to everything right now in baseball. So, Like the, Cub, the Cubs have done nothing. Um the Brewers added Grandal, but that's about it. I mean, and that the, was a, and that was a weird one year. Yeah, I don't I don't know what happened there to be honest with you. Yeah, Still. and they did it like a week ago. So they, yeah. you know, for the first two months of the off season, they they didn't do anything. Um, and again, there's there's nothing wrong. You know, we're in agreement. There's nothing wrong with being patient. And you don't get bonus points. You know, always say you don't get bonus points for adding somebody on November fifteenth versus versus January fifteenth, but. Um, from a fan perspective, it's but nice. But Scott, what what about them forwarding their mail? 
Oh gosh. Sorry yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Moving, moving, moving. On. Uh, uh, anyway, there was uh, oh one more thing I wanted to hit on on this podcast before, before I let you get out of here. Um, this is sort of my area of, I wouldn't say expertise, but interest to be sure. Uh, Las Vegas posted over-unders like two months early this year. I was like stunned by it. Caesars, Caesars Properties posted the uh, over-under wind tunnels. For those of you unfamiliar with this, every year Vegas and some offshore places and casinos offer these over-under bets on the wind totals of every team. Uh, the Braves last year went way over their total, obviously, given the way that they were uh, overachieving versus expectations. This year, they opened up at 84 wins as their over-under, and a lot of fans were upset by that. Like, what do you mean? They won 90 last year. Well, um, we'll talk about that in a second. But it has been bet up a little bit to 85, 85 and a half, somewhere around there. That didn't stun me because of what the current roster looks like. If they had A.J. Pollock, I'm sure they would have opened higher. But at the moment... Their starting corner outfielder, starting corner outfielder is Adam Duvall, and the rotation is the same as it was last year, um, minus Anibal Sanchez, who was awesome. So, mm-hmm. just keep that all in mind. Like, I, I mean, I know they have Donaldson, and there's an upgrade there. Camargo's in a better role for him, et cetera, et cetera. But it did not surprise me that it opened up a little bit lower than fans wanted it to open up. I think you could make an argument right now that the team is a pretty prime regression candidate at this moment. As, as constructed. That doesn't mean it's going to happen because they did improve it with Donaldson. You would imagine they do have another year under the belt with all young guys, whether it be Acuna or Albies or even Swanson. The young guys are older. So are the pitchers in, in some ways, Fulte, Newcomb. But they didn't. They don't They don't have this, the big um, headline upgrade that everybody else has. I mean, they do have Donaldson, which is, again, a big, up, a big upgrade. But a lot of teams in the NL East are better. The division as a whole looks to be better than it was last year on paper. And more than anything, they're just not done, at least in the eyes of some. So before I throw some, uh, some, I guess, additional context into the mix with some projection systems, what did you make of 84 as a number, as a sort of baseline for this Braves team right now as constructed? I, I think it's fair. Um, I, mean, I think that's kind of what I would have thought, 85, 85 and a half, as you said now. Um, if, if I was a neutral better, I, I don't think I would necessarily touch that 85 and a half line. I mean, I think naturally we would go, oh yeah, they'll go over the 85 wins. They won 90 last year. They're going to be good, etc. But, um, I don't know if that's a screaming value. I mean, as, <laughs> as you well know, you're always looking for good value and teams with upside is probably who I would be looking to target. And if I was going to bet on this, but sure. I mean, if, if the Braves are, are opened at 84, 85 wins in Vegas, uh, if Fangraphs has them around 82, 83 wins, I mean, that that's fair. I mean, these are just projections, of course. Last year, the Braves, I want to say they were at 70 wins uh, when I was in Vegas last January. Yeah, they, they opened, I think, 70 and a half or 71. And by the time the season started, they were up to like 75. So pe- people caught on. But even then, they obviously zoomed way beyond that. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's all you know for for entertainment purposes only, uh, and it's Always. it's all it's all fun. So yeah, I mean, right now eighty five and a half seems pretty fair for the roster. I mean, there, there's upside as you said, but there's some some real question marks and injury question marks, and and again, the Braves are not done. I mean, they're not going to no. spend the next uh, you know two and a half months to opening day not doing anything. They're going to add. Who knows where they're going to add? But they're going to add somebody. Uh, you know, Anthopolis is not. I know there's this sentiment that Anthopolis is just sitting on a beach somewhere, not doing his job. I mean, the guy throughout his entire career has been incredibly aggressive, uh, and he's just—he's frankly—he's won at just about every place he's gone. I mean, granted, he wasn't the GM in LA; he was an assistant out there. But 
The Dodgers, of course, really hit their stride when he was there. He took the Blue Jays to the uh, two playoffs. The Braves, of course, last year making the playoffs. So he's not this guy who just sits back in his office and, and does nothing. He's going to get something done. Um, it, it's been frustrating, to, as you said. If, if the Braves are one of your teams, the lack of moves have been frustrating. But ultimately, the 85-and-a-half, that's what Vegas sees. That's what the computers see. That, you know, it seems reasonable to me for now. Yeah, I mean, Fangraphs, as you sort of mentioned there, has an 82-80 and projection right now with the current roster. And by the way, that includes Duvall for a full season of starting caliber plate appearances, about 620 plate appearances. That probably won't happen. Um, Also, they have a rotation projection of Fulton, Newcomb, Gosman, Julio Tehran, and Tuki Toussaint, which I think probably won't be the case for a full season. So, And by the way, that's that's not their fault. Like, I think it's tough to project this team right now as constructed. And that's... They, they do theirs in real time, so you have to do something. You have to put somebody in the outfield, but I don't think Adam Duvall, even if he is a prime, one of the primary options, I can't imagine he's going to be playing every day next no. season. No way. There's they no will, way. They, they will at least, they will, add, they will at a minimum bring in a left-hander to play sometimes um, against righties. I think. Yeah. Yeah, 75%. Yeah, I mean, if they win in the season with Duvall, it won't be full-time every single day, Duvall. So, anyway just for some context there. And I think fans always want to bet the over on their team. That's kind of what happens. Uh, and I, I wouldn't blame you, by the way. I think still, and granted, some of this is probably projection in my mind on what they might do. I think I would still, if you made me choose, I would say over 85. I would not be running to place my hard-earned jelly beans on that. Nope. Um, but I do think I would say over. But that also includes me thinking that they're going to do something. If this was the roster and you told me this was the roster opening day and they filled it in with, you know, minimum guys, I would probably go under because it doesn't, you know, this, again, they're not, I don't, they're not done, but if they were done and this is the roster that they have right this second with everybody else, like minor leaguers or something, you know, minimum, minimum veterans, it's not a 91 roster. I don't think. Uh, I'm with you. They could, they could certainly win 90 games. Like, if, if Donaldson was good and if everybody still did what they did last year and bounced back, I, I was still the same person, and I, I still believe this. I don't think last year's roster was a 91 roster either. That's kind of where I'm coming from on this. I think they overachieved a little bit. And granted, they didn't get lucky with, like, their Pythagorean win total or anything like that. Like, they, they certainly performed like a 91 team last year. I think that talent-wise, top to bottom, last year's team was not a 91 roster. That's that's me talking. I think it was probably a high 80s one roster. But if you factor that in, you take off Marcakis, you take off, you know, some of the, you know, take off Anibal, what Anibal did. It was Suzuki. incredible. Yeah, Suzuki. I mean, Charlie, I think Suzuki, Charlie Culberson coming out of nowhere. Yeah, a, yeah, there was some positive stuff in there. It wasn't all positive. Like Ender was really bad for a lot of the season at the plate. There was some downside stuff too. But I think they got a lot of positive breaks last year. Sure. Which is, that happens. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. That's it kind of baseball, and it, that's part of the fun of it, is that you can't predict it. And Culberson's a funny one. Like, no one in the world would have told you that he was going to do what he, did, what, he, what he did last year. That was not a thing. And Anibal was a free agent until when? March. And he was the Braves' best pitcher for like two months last yep. year. Yeah, so, baseball. Yeah, that's what happens in baseball. So it's all, there is some science to this, but there's also a lot of uh, art and luck and other things. So complete guesswork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that, all that to say, I think this is, this is going to be a good baseball team this year, but the did And also the division being better does matter quite a bit because the Braves benefited last year from a bad NL East. And 
that could happen again. I mean, they could fall apart. You know, the Marlins are going to be terrible again. But I think the Mets, Phillies, and Nats are all going to be capable of being as good or better than they were last year. So, Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and not just the division. I mean, look at the National League. I oh, mean, yeah. The the Central, the Reds apparently don't want to be terrible. The Pirates added all that last year. The Cards, Brewers, Cubs are going to be good. I mean, the, may, even the Padres, I think, kind of, I talked about you know 20 minutes ago, I think the Padres have a chance to make a Braves-like leap, maybe not this year, but next. Uh, but they're going to be better. I mean, other than maybe the Giants and the Marlins, I'm not sure there's really any teams where you can guarantee that they're going to be terrible. I mean, people thought the Diamondbacks were going to tear down, and they, I mean, they lost Corbin and... Goldie and Pollock, but they they still have a couple of pieces there, and probably you know they're not going to lose a hundred games. Um, you know it's 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 going to be a tough league. It's going to be a tough division, and you are going to have to earn a ticket to the playoffs next year, for sure. And uh, we'll talk much more about projections and lineups. And you know I think we're, we're just as a, as a point of reference, when you put out the mailbag call, we got a lot of questions like that are very like season preview questions, and we're going to kind of hold those until. We get closer. Part of part of the, part of that is that we just have to fill some content, but part of that is also the fact that things are going to change between now and spring training. So, yeah. I promise we're going to answer your projections, starting rotation questions, and lineup batting orders, and all that kind of stuff. That's going to happen at some point. We're just not going to. We're not quite there yet. So uh, we're we are not ignoring you. I promise that stuff's going to be coming <laughs> in the next two months or so before opening day. But uh, plenty of t- plenty of time to talk about that. So. Uh, I think we've probably done enough today, Scott. I'll be honest with you. We've uh, rambled. But I do want to plug our guys at the site who are doing Talking Chop prospect rankings right now. They've already already revealed, as we record this, all all the way up to 13. So if you missed the last three or four posts, please go back and check those out. Those guys are doing a great job. Um, Eric and the crew. uh, I've always said this. I said this last week, too. I'll say it again now. If you had to pick one list to use, I would pick our guys' list because... I'm not. This is not a shot at anybody else that does this full time. That are national, but those guys are national. Our guys watch the Braves, and that's what they do. They scout the Braves, and they are literally. I mean, they're they're the same kind of caliber um, as the guys you would read nationally. That's not a shot at anybody again. But they, they focus entirely on the Braves prospects. They pour over this. It's one organization, and Eric and that squad does uh, great work. So I recommend that. Check that out at talkingchop.com. Scott. You have anything else going on? I know uh, I have been a little quiet in terms of writing uh, right now. It's not that I don't have takes; it's just that you know it's kind of that quiet season. But I know you've written a little bit. I did. I of course did the did the Vegas over under post because that's what I do. That's that's like the bat signal goes up for me from Chris. I get I get the tap on the shoulder like, hey, I need you to do this. I'm like, all right. I saw those. I saw those and immediately thought of you when the win totals came out. Everybody, I mean, so so did Chris. I promise. I, I got I got sort of assigned that. He was like, by the way, this is this is you. This is all your area, and that's my area. It's fine. But you got anything going on that people should be reading, or are we just kind of holding our breath for now? We did a couple. <laughs> we did a, a handful of roundtable questions oh, yeah. uh, on the site. It. So the first one came out today. Uh, just kind of looking back on so far, what's the off season uh, look like, and and all that. So uh, and we have I think three more coming up in, this week. So those and the prospect lists and all that good stuff. So uh, and like you said, holding breath. Uh, you would hope that within the next week or so, next time I talk to you, something will happen. But again, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the first <laughs> second week maybe of February. Before something gets done, yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll be here. I um, during the off season, I think it's not. You know, there's a reason why why we record Sunday nights during the season, and it's because the fact that a 
the Braves don't usually play on Sunday nights, so that's kind of the best possible time to record a podcast for a baseball show. Um, but it also just is, is a solid night that I can plan around and kind of just get ready and get guests and all that stuff. During the offseason, it won't always be Sundays, as you've seen the last few weeks. So it's kind of based on what happens, based on my schedule, based on the terrain in general. So my apologies on not having not having a, as firm of a schedule in the offseason. But we'll try to do at least one podcast every week or so. Um, it might be 10 days between them, might be three days between them, depending on what happens. But just as an FYI programming note, if you uh, are panicking, I promise you can ask me if when I'm when I'm going to do it, and I'll, and I'll probably tell you. But it's coming, I promise. I'm not going to just fade away on the podcast during the, during the winter. And this one was a whole nine days between the podcast, Scott. So people were people were people were antsy. With good reason, Brad. With good reason. They have to have your takes. That's all that was. It was like, uh, oh, man, Scott's not been on, on the show in a couple weeks. It's time. Uh, <laughs> I'm back together. Who's this, who's this Eric guy? We'll kick, kick him off the podcast? No, I'm kidding. Hi, Eric. Yeah. We'll get back in the swing of things soon. We will. But uh, anyway, thank you, Scott. Uh, please plug yourself, by the way. People, tell people where they, where they can find you on, on the Twitter machine because your your content makes me laugh on a regular basis, especially right now <laughs> when you were trailing uh, – sorry, when you when you were trolling, uh, I believe, was it Cardinals fans today? Who were, who were you trolling yeah. earlier? Cardinals, Cardinals fans. and Cubs fans with Yadi or Melina stuff. It's all it's all in fun. And then – Thank You're bored, you. is what that is. Well, and the Colts are out, so now I don't have my football teams to complain about. So I don't uh, feel bad for you this year because the Falcons were gone before the Colts were. But uh, that was yeah. brutal, by the way. We should just end on we should end on that. I was uh, watching that game with a bunch of people, and that was not fun, Scott. I, I can't imagine that you had a lot of fun watching no, the Colts' it, offense inexplicably just die on the field. That was not, that I, was not great. I was not enjoying my Saturday afternoon, Brad. That was for sure. <laughs> my apologies was, on all of that. It was, that was not, not fun. fun. Yeah, but what can you do? So anyway, yeah, Scott Coleman, 55, a lot of fun stuff there, and hopefully we have actual news things to talk about in the coming days. Yes, pray for content for us, but regardless, we'll be here. Even if it's just mailbag stuff for the next six weeks, we'll do it. We'll always come back and talk about the Braves. Thank you, Scott. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Check out our our site at TalkingChop.com. Headline by prospect lists and roundtables and all kinds of stuff. We never go away either. So subscribe, check it out, and we'll see you guys later on in the winter. 